Hello, this is Michael Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. It is my pleasure to present to you the highlights of our February 2022 issue. The theme of this issue is Difficult to Control Asthma, and we thank editorial board members Teresa Gilbert and Elliot Israel for serving as coordinators for this theme. We are pleased to publish this theme issue in recognition of the Difficult to Control Asthma Presidential Initiative of current American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology President Giselle Maznayan. The theme articles in this issue address this important topic of difficult to control or severe asthma from a number of different perspectives. The first two articles, which are eligible for CME credit, provide thorough overviews of the assessment and management of difficult-to-control asthma by age group, children, and adults. The next two articles, which are also eligible for CME credit, describe important considerations that can make non-severe asthma difficult to control, including issues regarding adherence, health literacy, and comorbidities. The last two theme review articles focus on biologic treatments for severe asthma. Finally, an insightful theme editorial is contributed by theme coordinators Teresa Gilbert and Elliot Israel that does a terrific job of summarizing and contextualizing these theme review articles. In addition to the theme review articles, the February 2022 issue also contains two American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology workgroup reports, recommendations for physical activity and asthma, and allergen immunotherapy extract shortages and their effects on clinical care, as well as review articles on the subjects of school asthma care during COVID-19 and hypogammaglobulinemia after chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy. Now let me present the highlights of the original articles in this issue, which are on the subjects of severe asthma, anaphylaxis, dermatitis, drug allergy, food allergy, rhinitis, urticaria, and vocal cord dysfunction. The first article is anti-interleukin-5 therapy is associated with attenuated lung function decline in severe eosinophilic asthma patients from the Belgian Severe Asthma Registry by Grafog et al. What is already known about this topic? Asthma is associated with accelerated lung function decline, partly due to airway remodeling. Exacerbations, fractional exhaled nitric oxide, or high variability in sputum eosinophils have been associated with accelerated decline in severe asthma. What does this article add to our knowledge? We show that an addition of anti-interleukin-5 therapy in severe asthmatics with blood eosinophil count greater than 300 per cubic millimeter is associated with reduced forced expiratory volume in one second decline. How does this study impact current management guidelines? In addition to the reduction of exacerbation rates, anti-interleukin-5 could prevent expected lung function decline in severe eosinophilic asthmatic patients with frequent exacerbations. The next article is appraisal of the real-world effectiveness of biologic therapies in aspirin-exacerbated respiratory disease by Wangberg et al. What is already known about this topic? Biologics have emerged as a novel adjuvant therapy 
for use in asthma and nasal polyposis. What does this article add to our knowledge? In this study, anti-IL-4 receptor alpha therapy led to significantly improved clinical outcomes in aspirin-exacerbated respiratory disease relative to anti-IgE and anti-IL-5 or IL-5 receptor alpha biologic therapies. How does this study impact current management guidelines? This pilot study shows promising potential for the use of anti-IL-4 receptor alpha therapy in the management of aspirin-exacerbated respiratory disease. The next article is Treatment Patterns and Disease Burden Associated with Multiple Inhaler Triple Therapy Use in Asthma by Oppenheimer et al. What is already known about this topic? At the time this study was conducted, single inhaler triple therapies were not routinely available for asthma. Up until that point, triple therapy was administered via multiple inhalers, multiple inhaler triple therapy. However, very little is still known about the prevalence and treatment patterns associated with multiple inhaler triple therapy in real-world clinical practice. What does this article add to our knowledge? Prevalence of multiple inhaler triple therapy use is low in real-world practice, but increased marginally over the study period. New users of multiple inhaler triple therapy have a substantial disease burden and unmet needs. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Our study indicates that more needs to be done to improve the care of patients with uncontrolled asthma, including improvements in implementation of current guidelines and better use of existing and emerging therapeutic strategies. The next article is Ethnic Differences in Severe Asthma Clinical Care and Outcomes, an analysis of United Kingdom primary and specialist care by Busby et al. What is already known about this topic? In studies of mild to moderate asthma, poorer asthma outcomes have been reported among underrepresented ethnic groups within Europe and the United States. Mechanisms underlying this are debated. However, genetics, socioeconomic factors, and health literacy have been proposed. What does this article add to our knowledge? Patients with severe asthma from underrepresented ethnic groups had worse asthma control and higher rates of exacerbation requiring secondary health care use. This may be driven by differential treatment patterns, medication adherence, and unscheduled care use. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The distinct phenotypic presentation among underrepresented ethnic group patients suggests that ethnically tailored treatment strategies to address factors such as non-adherence and poor self-management may be appropriate. The next article is Omalizumab-induced aspirin tolerance in non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug exacerbated respiratory disease patients is independent of atopic sensitization by Quint et al. What is already known about this topic? Aspirin desensitization is currently the gold standard to induce aspirin tolerance in non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug exacerbated respiratory disease, NERD, patients. Clinical efficacy regarding omalizumab on asthma and nasal polyposis in NERD patients has been addressed, but the 
effect of anti-immunoglobulin E therapy on prevention of aspirin-induced hypersensitivity, especially in non-atopic NERD patients, is less well known. What does this article add to our knowledge? This is the first prospective study to demonstrate successful omalizumab-induced aspirin tolerance in both atopic and non-atopic NERD patients. Omalizumab exerts clinical effectiveness regarding improvement of asthma and nasal polyposis also in NERD patients who remain aspirin intolerant. How does this study impact current management guidelines? This study adds comprehensive information of anti-immunoglobulin E therapy in NERD patients, thereby facilitating future treatment decisions in NERD patients without allergic sensitization, and supports the use of omalizumab as an alternate treatment option in inducing aspirin tolerance in NERD patients. The next article is Nebulizer Use by Black and Latinx Adults with Moderate to Severe Asthma by Apter et al. What is already known about this topic? Asthma guidelines recommend a meter dose inhaler rather than a nebulizer for short-acting beta-2 agonist administration, except in the setting of severe asthma exacerbation. However, the real-world use of nebulizers may differ from guidelines. What does this article add to our knowledge? This study adds to our understanding of the history, experiences, and preferences regarding the use of nebulizers in Black and Latinx adults with uncontrolled asthma. How does this study impact current management guidelines? In order to adequately address asthma control and ensure that patients receive the most appropriate drug regimen, clinicians should routinely explore patients' use of nebulizers. The next article is Understanding Autonomy in Patients with Moderate to Severe Asthma by Bucky et al. What is already known about this topic? There is a scarcity of research highlighting the essential role of medical ethics, particularly autonomy, in the clinical practice of allergy and immunology. What does this article add to our knowledge? In a population of patients with moderate to severe asthma, baseline differences in autonomy were associated with comorbidities, demographics, and health literacy. These differences may reflect variability in economic, educational, and social opportunities. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The identification of differences in autonomy based on patients' characteristics is an initial step in modifying treatment guidelines to improve patient autonomy and subsequently healthcare equity. The next article is Reproducibility of Symptom Sequences Across Episodes of Recurrent Anaphylaxis by Slapnikar et al. What is already known about this topic? For patients undergoing two consecutive peanut challenges, the same cluster of organ systems was involved in individual patients but differed between patients. What does this article add to our knowledge? We have extended the above observations and demonstrated that individuals with recurrent anaphylaxis experience stereotypic reactions with respect to the order of appearance of symptoms. How does this study impact current management guidelines? By recognizing the stereotypic nature of anaphylactic reactions, especially the earliest symptoms, 
patients will be better able to identify incipient multi-system reactions and intervene appropriately with self-administration of epinephrine and activation of emergency medical services. The next article is Efficacy of House Dust Mite Sublingual Immunotherapy in Patients with Atopic Dermatitis, a Randomized Double-Blind Placebo-Controlled Trial by Langer et al. What is already known about this topic? The role of allergen immunotherapy in the management of patients with atopic dermatitis is considered controversial, and allergen immunotherapy is not recommended as a general treatment option for atopic dermatitis by current guidelines. What does this article add to our knowledge? In this randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, Sublingual immunotherapy with house dust mite extract showed efficacy in improving the signs and symptoms of atopic dermatitis in mite-sensitized patients after 18 months of treatment, as judged by scoring atopic dermatitis tools with no major adverse effects. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Sublingual immunotherapy with house dust mite extract could be considered as a safe and effective add-on treatment for mite-sensitized patients with atopic dermatitis. The next article is Population-Based Incidence of New Ampicillin, Cephalexin, Cephachlor, and Sulfonamide Antibiotic Allergies in Exposed Individuals with and Without Pre-Existing Ampicillin, Cephalexin, or Cephachlor Allergies by Macy et al. What is already known about this topic? Anecdotally, many individuals with a history of a beta-lactam allergy have been noted to tolerate alternate beta-lactams, even those sharing exact side chains. What does this article add to our knowledge? To our knowledge, these are the first population-based data on real-world exposures of beta-lactams sharing exact side chains in individuals with beta-lactam allergies associated with those specific side chains. How does this study impact current management guidelines? This study provides more evidence that warnings not to use beta-lactams, even those sharing exact side chains in individuals with beta-lactam allergies, can be deleted. The next article is Serum Soluble OX40 as a Diagnostic and Prognostic Biomarker for Drug-Induced Hypersensitivity Syndrome Drug Reaction with Eosinophilia and Systemic Symptoms by Mitsui et al. What is already known about this topic? Drug-induced hypersensitivity syndrome, or drug reaction with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms, DIHS, DRESS, is a severe drug reaction commonly associated with human herpes virus 6 reactivation. OX40 is involved in both Th2-type inflammatory response and herpes-6 replication. What does this article add to our knowledge? Serum-soluble OX40 levels in patients with DIHS DRESS in acute stage were elevated and significantly positively correlated with disease severities. In patients with DIHS DRESS with herpes virus 6 reactivation, serum-soluble OX40 levels correlated with peak herpes virus 6 viral loads. How does this study impact current management guidelines? 
serum-soluble OX40 levels can be a useful diagnostic and prognostic marker for DIHS dress. Elevated levels of serum-soluble OX40 can also predict the extent of herpes virus 6 reactivation. The next article is Maximum Dose Food Challenges Reveal Transient Sustained Unresponsiveness in Peanut Oral Immunotherapy by Davis et al. What is already known about this topic? After peanut oral immunotherapy, POIT, with daily dosing of 300 milligrams, a cumulative dose of approximately 2 grams can be tolerated. The maximum peanut dose tolerated after POIT has not been established and therefore remains a crucial question when evaluating the efficacy of POIT. What does this article add to our knowledge? The mean maximal cumulated tolerated dose after one year of POIT with a daily dose of 3,900 milligrams increased by 12,063 milligrams, P less than 0.001, but decreased by 7,593 milligrams after one month of avoidance following three years of treatment, P equals 0.03. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Desensitization to peanut in POIT is lost after a one-month avoidance period, impacting the safety of restarting therapy when several doses are missed. Explanation of the loss in tolerated dose with peanut avoidance should be a part of the shared decision-making process before starting POIT. The next article is the majority of children sensitized before school age develop allergic disease before adulthood, a longitudinal population-based study by Bunn et al. What is already known about this topic? Allergic sensitization is a well-known risk factor for asthma and rhinitis, but the importance of age at first sensitization to airborne allergens is less described. What does this article add to our knowledge? This longitudinal study illustrates that the earlier the onset of sensitization occurs, the higher the risk of developing asthma and or rhinitis. We identified an allergy cluster defined by early sensitization, high levels of sensitization, and a very high risk of allergic disease. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Attention to symptoms of asthma and rhinitis is warranted in children sensitized before school age because they rarely remain asymptomatic until adolescence and early diagnosis of allergy is essential for interventions and treatment. The next article is Prevalence, Management, and Anaphylaxis Risk of Colder Decaria, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis by Prosti et al. What is already known about this topic? Cold urticaria is a type of chronic inducible urticaria that causes significant morbidity and bears a risk for life-threatening allergic reactions. What does this article add to our knowledge? This study aims to determine the prevalence of cold urticaria among cases of chronic urticaria and chronic inducible urticaria, to assess the management of cold urticaria, and to determine the prevalence of associated anaphylaxis. How does this study impact current management guidelines? 
allergists and dermatologists should be vigilant for cold urticaria in patients presenting with chronic urticaria, especially because of the risk for anaphylaxis. The next article is the impact of functional laryngoscopy on the diagnosis of laryngeal hypersensitivity syndromes by Vertigan et al. What is already known about this topic? Functional transnasal laryngoscopy is an important diagnostic procedure, but the clinical utility in patients with laryngeal hypersensitivity syndromes is unknown. What does this article add to our knowledge? Laryngoscopy changed the diagnosis in 67% of participants referred for treatment of laryngeal hypersensitivity syndromes by identifying or refuting clinical suspicion of muscle tension dysphonia and vocal cord dysfunction. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Laryngeal disorders such as vocal cord dysfunction and muscle tension dysphonia cannot be confirmed by clinical examination alone. The last article is Diagnostic and Therapeutic Outcomes Following Systemic Assessment of Patients with Concurrent Suspected Vocal Cord Dysfunction and Asthma by Stojanovic et al. What is already known about this topic? Vocal cord dysfunction is present in between 25 to 50 percent of patients with asthma. Differentiating vocal cord dysfunction and asthma is challenging clinically. When mistaken for asthma, vocal cord dysfunction has been associated with high medication usage and invasive interventions. What does this article add to our knowledge? De-escalation or discontinuation of asthma therapy is most often successful following objective confirmation of vocal cord dysfunction. Subjective symptom improvement following speech pathology is not paralleled by improvements in laryngeal questionnaire scores in cohorts with vocal cord dysfunction and asthma. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Systemic assessment for both vocal cord dysfunction and asthma facilitates de-escalation or discontinuation of unnecessary asthma medications. The ability of standardized questionnaires to assess response to speech pathology in patients with dual diagnoses require further assessment. Thank you for listening to the highlights of the February 2022 issue of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in practice. This is Michael Schatz, and I hope you find this issue beneficial for you and your patients.